It's time for Stoking the Fire. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! So, what are you trying to say? And here we go. Welcome into another episode of Stoking the Fire. Thank you to everybody who tuned in to the first episode of the video version of the show. This podcast has been around for uh, a couple of football seasons now, but we've added a video element thanks to Proc Studios here. And I want to thank everybody who tuned into it, made it special. Uh, It was a blast to do it. Glad to be back for another one. And I truly do appreciate all of the comments. Uh, all of the interaction, the engagement, it is uh, much appreciated and is more than welcome. I really want all the feedback and uh, back and forth we can we can have on this thing. Uh, you can follow the show if you aren't already on Facebook at Stoking the Fire. You can also catch the audio-only versions on Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, Apple Pod, the Swain Event app, and anywhere else fine pods are casted from. Uh, if you're just now joining the show for the very first time, I'm Seth Stokes. You can follow me on Twitter at Seth Stokes, W-O-R-D. And uh, this is a college, a Southern college football show that is not really all about college football. Yes, there's a lot of SEC talk going to be happening on the show, but it's not going to be 110% banging you over the head with a cast iron SEC skillet. It's going to be much more than that. We're going to get into beer talk about this in a minute. We're going to get into movies. We're going to get into music. We're going to get into just life in general and everything that kind of goes on with me and and everything that uh, I get into. So it's a lot of fun and I appreciate everybody tuning in. Um, So one of my passions, if you know me, is craft beer and I like to try a different type of beer on every show and it may be the same style of beer as before but a different brand, a different take on it, a little something added in. Uh, This week on the, uh, the beer of the show, well you know what, let's get to it in appropriate fashion. It's time for the beer of the show! I don't know what I'm doing there, but this beer of the show is by Independence Harbor. It is an amber ale with honey added, it says. So this should be interesting. Forget the tea, drink the ale. I guess that's a nod to the Boston Tea Party uh, centuries ago. And you know what? Um, This is interesting. It's the first time I've had a, a craft beer with a twist top. I don't know if I should deduct points or if I should... Uh, give it points for that. does make it a lot easier to get into. Um, so the Independence Harbor Amber Ale is by Genesee, which is a macro brewery out of Rochester, New York, according to the Untapped app. has an ABV of 5.5%. But they're, outside of that, there's not really a description of the beer on the app. So what we're going to do is I'm going to take a drink of this, and we're going to describe it, come up with my own. So let's see how this tastes. Cheers. Hmm. I do taste the honey. They definitely nailed that. It's good. It's not great. I'm going to be honest with you. So this was purchased um, at Aldi, and with them, it's kind of hit or miss sometimes on their craft beer. It can be really, really good, or it can be not so great. Uh, This one's kind of a middle of the road. 
So, in your ambers, like, as far as amber ales go, I think Fat Tire is the first one that comes to mind. It's really, really good by New Belgium. Um, this one is kind of like, uh, I don't know, Fat Tire wannabe. It's um, an average imitation of Fat Tire with some honey thrown in it. It's rated a 3.3 on the app. It's not a hard, it's not a hard to drink beer. I'm like, it's not, it's not bad. It just kind of has a little bit of a watered down flavor, and I don't mean to bash it. I feel bad for bashing it, but it's, it's okay. It's for the price point, it's good. For the price point, it's good. So we're gonna sip on this and and talk a little college football. And anybody who is watching the show or anything. Feel free to to shoot me a beer suggestion. I'm open to pretty much anything, and pop a top with me. We'll we'll have a little fun drinking some beer and talking some football and whatever else we can get into. So last time on the show, I kind of talked about the importance of the NFL Combine. It came and went now since the last recording of the show, and it was interesting. A lot of talk about Joe Burrow's hand size. This is, I think, might be the only time when we really discuss and get into a person's hand size and will it help them in their career, the NFL Combine. Now, yes, it is a proven fact that quarterbacks with a certain size hands will do better than quarterbacks that are smaller. They have trouble holding on to the ball, some say, and and things of that nature. And, well, there was a lot to be made of the fact that Joe Burrow's hand size is not what experts think that it should be. I guess if he had larger hands, he would have thrown even more touchdowns at LSU. He would have won the national, helped LSU win the national championship even easier if his hands had been an appropriate size. To me, this is kind of a silly, silly thing that people go on and on about. Can he play ball? You turn on the tape, the answer is yes. The man can drop dimes. Does he have smaller hands than some scouts and GMs might want? Yes. Did it really hinder him in college? No, not really. You didn't see him cough up the ball often. You didn't really see him make mistakes because of teeny tiny hands. So I think people need to kind of get over this a little bit. And, of course, once he gets into the league, the first time a ball slips out of his hand or something of that nature, people are going to go, oh, see, there's the small hands. He should have looked at his hand size. We tried to warn you. I forget all that. He's going to be fine. He was fine in college. He's going to be fine in the NFL. At least I think he is. Another big topic from the NFL Combine, and this was something people were kind of wondering about going into it, is Tua Tungle-Viola. I cannot believe I just said that correctly on the first try. I never do that, so pat me on the back a little bit on that one. So he didn't really work out because he's not cleared for football activities, but that didn't stop him from having a good showing at the combine in the sense that they did an MRI on his hip, and it was a clean MRI. No issues there. Looks like there's no prohibition of the blood flow. Everything looks good with his hip. He expects to be cleared for football activities, Uh, around March 9th, so expect to see him uh, working out and and doing things, uh, you know, football-related. He's going to have a a private pro day for the NFL scouts, and I expect him to show up and show out. 
people say his draft uh, his draft stock kind of rose a little bit because of his clean bill of health in Indy. Of course, he didn't work out because he couldn't. My thing about Tua is his durability. You've seen quarterbacks without injury problems in college go to the NFL and get demolished, absolutely destroyed. And he is someone who has had two ankle surgeries, a hip issue, um, I want to say another leg problem, and a concussion issue while he was at Alabama. He is going to have a tag of fragile until proven otherwise, fair or not. He can throw the ball well. He has great pocket presence. Um, all of the football-related things from a, a performance standpoint are there for him. He's elusive in the pocket. He's not afraid to run. But when he does and he gets hit, he gets hurt. So we'll see how the you know what teams decide they want to, at this point, take a chance on Tua. I'm not saying he's a bad prospect, but he's fragile. He hasn't proven he can last an entire season without an issue. And it just gets worse at the next level. The guys are bigger, faster, stronger. Now, the SEC in college is the best place to prepare yourself for the NFL, but it's still a whole different ball game. A whole different ball game. The other thing that people were talking about at the Combine as it relates to the SEC, staying with the offensive side of the ball, is Tennessee wide receiver Juwan Jennings. Um, people say his draft stock really took a hit. Um, because of his measurables at the Combine. They weren't great. They were average and below average. Um, I don't have all the numbers right in front of me. You can go look those up on your own. Um, are those spark scores important? Yes, to an extent. But as time moves on, these things become less and less important to teams in, in all reality when it, you know, when it gets to nut-cutting time. Uh, they're looking at the tape. They're looking at the interviews. Is there a slight cause of concern for um, off-the-field things with Juwan and his attitude? Sure, yes. But Tennessee fan or not, you can turn on any game that he was playing in and see that he dominates at his position. His want to, his will to succeed each and every play is really second to none. I've not seen a receiver take control of games like he can. It's really, really special the fact that, yeah, he ran a, a like a 4.740, and sure, that's not that fast. I don't think anybody expected him to roll up to Indy and run a blazing time. If you saw him play in college, you know he's not the fastest receiver. He himself has had knee and leg issues in college, which if your wheels are hurting, they're going to slow you down a little bit. But while he's running that 4.7, he's breaking about 50-11 tackles. For all kinds of yak. He is a special, special player. For those of you who don't know, yak is yards after catch. Or if you're a running back, yards after contact. Essentially, when someone tries to tackle you, you shed that tackle. Everything after that is yak yardage. Um, he's a special player. He really, really is. Um, do I think that his draft stock took a hit? Yeah, maybe a little bit. Do I think he can make that up at his pro day? Absolutely. There's no reason why he can't. He'll be on his turf, and I was talking with my former co-host, uh, Jason Swain, at the Swain event out of Knoxville about this uh, last Friday, and, you know, he, he said, look, he has a chance to make it up. He just has to, to show up as the alpha dog, take rep number one every single time with the wide receiver group, turn pro day into his pro day. 
and then show out. He can improve on these things. He had some technique issues with the 40. Uh, he can work on that in the, the time leading up to his pro day at, in Knoxville. None of this is, is set in stone. These are your final results. Things will get better. And that goes for a lot of the guys that worked out that didn't really show out like they wanted to. Um, Jared Pickney from Vanderbilt, another player that when you look at him, you're like, my goodness, he's built like a brick house. He should be spectacular on the football field at the tight end position. And his workouts were lazy and uninspired. He didn't look like he was mentally engaged in what was going on in Indy. Um, it's He's a guy that people are saying was one of the bigger losers of the combine. Uh, the Patriots told him he had a loser mentality based on how he answered a question. And, of course, he took that and can turn that into a life lesson. And there were more to be made about the headlines of that than the actual, you know, than what actually occurred. But he's a player that's going to have an opportunity to improve his draft stock moving forward. Um, he can kind of only go up. He drops some balls. Balls hit him right in the hands and just ricochet off of him. It was a bad, bad showing for him. His measurables weren't that great outside of his stature. Height, weight, awesome. You look at him, he looks the part. He's got that football body, especially for a tight end position. He just didn't play like it. Kind of a workout warrior of sorts, and his workouts weren't even that great. Uh, some other guys that didn't really do so hot – Former Georgia quarterback Jacob Eason, coming from Washington, he didn't look great. Georgia quarterback Jake Fromm, who a lot of people kind of scratched their heads when he decided he was going to leave Athens and throw his name in the NFL hat. He had one of the the worst showings uh, from an athletic standpoint of any of the quarterbacks there. He just didn't really shine in the athletic competition and had one of the worst missed opportunities on a deep ball out there. Just not accurate. Uh, he struggled at Georgia this past season. His receivers didn't give him any help. And honestly, he's a guy that probably could have benefited from another season in college. One more year, and I think that does him well. Now we'll see. Again, he can change that a little bit at his pro day. He's a nice guy. He's a smart kid. He'll probably do very well on the grease board. He probably did very well in his interviews. But on the field, not so good. But again, he's a guy you can turn the tape on and say, okay, he, he's, he is kind of a winner. He does have what it takes to rally a team, but can he do it at the highest level? Can he? Uh, there was a DB from Florida, uh, C.J. Henderson, I believe is his name. Uh, my laptop died, so I'm kind of just running on memory at this point. He really helped his draft stock a lot. He was already projected to be a first-rounder. Now many are saying top 20 type pick he had a, 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 a 4-3 he ran in the 4-3s in his 40 and his on the field workouts uh, were described as effortless he made it look easy like he didn't even have to try now there are questions about whether he can actually tackle a DB or not or excuse me tackle a wide receiver or a ball carrier or not but you know if, if you can lock someone down you don't necessarily have to be able to tackle them because they're not going to catch the ball on you all that often. If you can slow them down, I'm not going to compare him to Deion Sanders, but that was kind of Prime's game. If they do catch a ball on you, hold on to them until help arrives. That's all you got to do. So look, the NFL Combine is something that gets put into prime time. People love to watch it. People love to talk about it. 
it's important in some aspects and other aspects, those on the field workouts, they're not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. As I said a few minutes ago, teams are more and more uh, paying more attention to the interview process, to how they diagnose plays on the grease board, to how their season went. What did the tape look like? There's a huge difference between workout speed and game speed with players. Some people aren't very fast when they're just running. You put a ball in their hands and have guys chasing them, they're a lot faster. So, yes, there are some things you can take away from the combine. Some things, you know, you just got to take it as with a grain of salt and, and know that teams are going to make their decisions based off of what they see, the, the overall package of a player, what they see on tape. But there's going to be plenty more draft talk, pro day talk, all that to come as spring goes on. The draft is a couple months away. We've got plenty of time to dive into all that in detail. Uh, spring balls started for a couple of teams in the SEC. More and more as the days progress are going to be hopping into their spring workouts, which means spring games are going to be coming around the quarter. Uh, Vanderbilt and South Carolina, I think, are going to be the first two that uh, have uh, their spring games in early April. The SEC announced that for, I want to say it's the fifth consecutive year now, the uh, every single SEC spring game is going to be televised live on one of ESPN's networks. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Obviously, it's a good thing for the schools, but for the rest of us, sometimes spring ball, while it's football and we all love football, the spring game can be a bit of a snooze fest after about the first 20 minutes or so if we're keeping it real, especially if it's a team we don't really have a rooting interest in. I'll pay attention to the Tennessee game. I'll pay attention to a couple other games where there's some serious storylines. Alabama's quarterback situation, for example, that's a huge one. LSU's QB situation, for example, another big one. But outside of that, I mean, I don't it's it's spring. There's some things to glean from it, um, and it's it's football again. It's kind of a nice little here's a taste, here's a little fix to get you through until August. But hey, it, it's meaningless at the end of the day. What happens in spring is not often indicative of what's going to happen come the fall. There's guys who ball out in spring and disappear in the fall. What's really interesting about spring football now is the early signing period. You have a whole lot more early enrollees now than you have in years past. So you've got guys getting acclimated and making an impact and a difference that's going to help them come the fall, help the team. Also, you have to worry about some injuries, but still, the more time as a freshman you can have on campus getting acclimated, getting to the grind early, the more that's going to help you just kind of fall right in in the fall. One too many falls there. And really start making a difference and hopefully making an impact for this team. Now, if you're a team that is is kind of rolling, you're probably not depending on too many freshmen in the fall. But for teams like Tennessee, for South Carolina, Florida still, those te- teams like that, they're still depending on incoming freshmen to really help them out because their rosters just aren't set where they need to be. Uh a lot of uh, Georgia, another one that's going to be depending on some freshmen this year because of, I'm not going to call it a mass exodus, but it's still a lot of turnover with that roster in the offseason. Um, so those early enrollees, it's huge for them to get that extra work in. Bowl practices, spring practices 
are huge for the team itself. Not necessarily newsworthy for all of us, but big for the team itself. And we're going to pay attention to some of those stories this spring um, at at South Carolina. You've got uh, a new guy going to be calling plays um, in Vanderbilt. You've got Ted Roof as the as the defensive coordinator. That's a new situation. Excuse me, Mike Bobo there at South Carolina. And then Ted Roof, defensive coordinator from, uh, he, you know, most people know him from Auburn. He's going to be calling the defense at Vanderbilt. Is that going to help? Who knows? Vanderbilt was terrible last year. But if you're a Vanderbilt fan, if you're an SC fan, those are things to kind of, you know, be paying attention to. Those are big storylines in the spring that are going to be even bigger in the fall. How do these teams adjust to new systems? That's the importance of spring ball is to kind of start shaking out uh, and getting the wrinkles kind of ironed out of the new systems for the players that are returning, the players that are going to be making the most impact in the fall, having uh, the bigger roles in the fall. But I just think it's interesting that ESPN um, televises every SEC spring game. Not every spring game in the Power Five conferences gets televised, but the SEC does which also can bring about a lot of SEC hate. I'm not a big SEC fan. I'm going to talk about the SEC. I mean, it's, it's the bread and butter in the South. There's no doubt about it. But I do think that Southeastern Conference football coverage gets boosted a bit. Sometimes it's warranted. Sometimes it's not. I guess to each their own. Uh, but we will have an opportunity to watch every single SEC spring game, if you so desire. And the SEC Network will be doing a whip around on a couple of different Saturdays where there's multiple days. It's going to be like NFL red zone for spring games. I guess is the best way to put that. A couple of little um, you know, movement here in the SEC. The most notable from a coaching standpoint over the past couple of weeks is Kirby Smart at Georgia has hired uh, Scott Cochran, from Alabama, he was Alabama strength and conditioning coach. Everybody's seen those Regions Bank commercials where he's yelling at people about investing. Um, those were annoying, in my opinion. But uh, he is now uh, the special teams coordinator at Georgia. He has wanted to move from the weight room to the field from a coaching standpoint and further his career in that aspect. And good for him for getting that opportunity. Uh, he and Kirby are buds. Kirby's got guys to replace. He did so with Cochran. Now, um, Nick Saban has hired the strength and conditioning coach from Indiana. Uh, Baloo is his last name. His first name escapes me at the moment, but I saw a picture of him, and one of my first thoughts were he looked like the helmetless Darth Vader in Return of the Jedi, minus the scars from having the machinery put on him. But that's kind of what this guy looks like, super bald, um, and just his face looks like that. I don't know. That's the first thing. I'm a dork, though, so that's kind of the first thing that popped into my mind. So we'll see. You know, strength and conditioning is huge. It is something that is not nearly talked about enough. Um, I can kind of lean on experience covering Tennessee in the sense that they had several strength and conditioning coaches over a very short uh, amount of time, and the guys just never, because of that, never seemed to get bigger, faster, stronger. You saw some body transformations um, under under uh, Dooley that because he had one guy for a couple of years, so you could see when that guy got there to when he you know when those guys were seniors, the difference. But then the carousel started again, and then you see your guys on the line of scrimmage, defensively and offensively, get pushed around. 
You see receivers get jammed up at the line. You see DBs struggle to bring down bigger receivers. Running backs struggle to break tackles from, you know, in a physical standpoint. You still have your shiftiness, but from just an outright power standpoint, stiff arm standpoint, you know, running through guys, those things aren't happening because they're not able to get into any sort of, uh, of rhythm, I'll call it, um, with a workout. You keep rotating in strength and conditioning coaches, and it, it takes a while for exercise plans and programs to really get embedded into the, the team and into the mindset and start to, to make a difference. So, you know, spring, spring workout, winter workout, spring workouts, this year's plan for Alabama is well underway. I don't think you're going to see the new strength coaches' effects um, kind of really take hold until 2021 or after um, because they're kind of set with what they're doing now. Um, but that's an interesting thing to follow. I think that is an underrated aspect, or not underrated, but underappreciated, we'll call it, aspect of college athletics is the strength and conditioning program. You don't hear much talk about the strength coaches and everything they do until you see a team get walloped on Saturday from a physical standpoint or until you see a team outlast and look better than another team in the fourth quarter whose hands are on their hips and they're doubled over breathing hard and who still looks like they have fresh legs. That strength and conditioning and continuity in that department is key. Something to keep an eye on moving forward for Alabama. I'm not saying it's going to cause them to take a step back. They're kind of a machine right now, but just – something to keep an eye on he's been there for a little while so now it's going to be new something to kind of look at again he also looks like a helmetless Darth Vader now kind of moving past college football uh last time I had a show we were coming uh on the heels of of Ryan Newman's terrible accident terrible crash at Daytona he has now been released from the hospital a couple of days after that happened, and he is healing. Come to find out, no major internal injuries. He did suffer a head injury that's keeping him sidelined for a little while, but he does plan on getting back into a race car at some point this season. And kudos to him. That was scary stuff. Very scary stuff. And the fact that he was able to essentially walk away a couple of days later get released from the hospital, the picture of him walking out, holding both of his daughter's hands, spectacular picture, great to see, the standing ovation when he walked into his garage from his team, um, amazing. And it, it's, uh, while a wreck like that should never happen, kudos to the safety of the cars now, the roll cages are better, the Hans device, all of this, the safety things that were in there, I still think they've got to eliminate pack racing at super speedways, it's a recipe for disaster, but I am glad that he is safe and will be able to get back into a car sometime in the near future. Speaking of cars, a little dip into my personal life for a moment. So I've got a 2013 Ford Taurus, got Ford's 3.5 liter, uh, they call it the Cyclone motor, which is weird annotation for a motor that isn't that fast. Um, so Ford decided to make their water pumps timing chain driven for you those of you who don't know that means you got to take if the water pump goes bad half the engine apart to change the pump out so i've been fighting that um not necessarily the hardest thing in the world to do but if the other thing ford did is they did not put timing marks anywhere on the oil pump or anywhere on the heads of the block so 
figuring out that to get it back in time is kind of a guessing game to an extent. And so when I put it back together the first time, it was slightly out of time, which means it didn't run right. So I've had to tear it down again. But got to give a big shout out to my pops who kind of taught me how to turn a wrench at a young age. And so I've been able to tackle this. But my goodness, Ford, why in the heck did you design your engine that way? It's ridiculous. Water pumps should never be that difficult to get to. And if it hadn't have been designed that way, I wouldn't be going through this issue. Just a little peek into what I've been dealing with in the garage recently. It sucks, but it is what it is. Something that sucked. And some people, when I start talking about this, may close their ears or turn the channel, but it is what it is. I'm going to talk about it. I need to speak a little bit on the dumbassery that is the WWE right now. Now, I'm not a huge wrestling guy. I was a major wrestling fan when I was younger. Slowly have gotten back into it over over the past few months. Um, but they had a pay-per-view uh, in, in overseas th- this past Thursday. It's a super showdown. They do these every once in a while. Um, and for the most part, you can ask most any fan, it's a pointless event. It's cool for the people that get to go live and see it, and they get to experience the atmosphere in person, whereas they normally wouldn't because it's mostly a stateside thing. But you don't really see a lot of major storyline changes occur at these because, one, they're aired at, like, 1 o'clock on a Thursday afternoon when really not very many people can watch it live. Uh, and, two, it's just kind of filler. Well, that's not the case this past Thursday where the WWE decided to take the belt, the uh, Universal Championship, off of The Fiend, which, if you don't pay attention, he is a character that has been developed for almost a year now into not quite an unstoppable force, but really just a, someone who, who gets into people's minds and really messes with them. And he's been Universal Champion for several months now. And uh, it's, a, it's great. It's a great character, a great storyline. And they've completely torn it apart because they had him drop the strap to Bill Goldberg, who hasn't really been relevant since the early 2000s in a serious way. He, he rose to his peak fame in the late 90s. Um, why? Like, why would you take what you've built and destroy it so you can set up a match between a has-been and Roman Reigns, who he's okay at WrestleMania? Like, Fiend and Reigns would have been a much better, much better storyline. Much more entertaining. I don't know what the hell you're doing. It, it makes no sense. You, you take the tag titles off of, off of New Day and give them to Miz and Morrison. Morrison just got back after being gone for like six years. Is, there's a lot of, not to get into too deep into the, the weeds in this, there's just a lot of questionable decisions by the higher-ups at the WWE, very few of which over the past couple of weeks has been good. The one good thing they've done is this Randy Orton Edge storyline that they're using to build up to WrestleMania. Compelling stuff. Orton given a platform to be a true bad guy or true heel is spectacular. Um, And that is good. But everything else has been just a head-scratcher and pointless. And you're taking these characters, Ricochet, getting destroyed by Brock Lesnar. You knew he would, but the quickness in which you did it, the quickness in which... You know, Goldberg beat The Fiend. The quickness in which Undertaker dismantled AJ Styles. You're taking this young talent and decimating them and lessening them 
for has-beens. It's dumb. Makes no sense. Makes no sense at all. I don't get it. It's dumbassery. That's what I call it. Complete dumbassery. Uh, so every weekend, or not every weekend, but every weekend we have the kids, we tend to try to, you know, watch a, a family movie or something, spend some sort of family time. This past weekend was awesome. We went downtown Greenville to the new spot called Gather. It's a really cool outdoorsy spot with, um, made out of like, uh, old, uh, storage buildings, essentially kind of like, um, uh, container, big storage containers. That's the best way to describe it. Like you'll see at a shipyard. And uh, it's a really cool spot. I, I think it's it's right by Floor Field in the West End. It's, it's awesome. Love it. So we went there, came home. Kids want to watch a movie. Uh, no one could decide on a movie. So the wife and I picked one from our childhood. Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Classic animated slash live action style movie. And I had forgotten how funny that movie is. Even today, it's weird now. It's, 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 it's an odd movie, but it is hysterical. But one of the funniest parts of the movie was watching the kids watch the movie. And the youngest, while she fell asleep about three-quarters of the way through it, um, just because it was late and she was tired, uh, there's a point in the movie where Valiant, one of the main characters, arrives into Toontown, and it goes from live-action kind of dark to... Really bright, almost like a, a really bad acid trip. And her eyes, I mean, like saucers, like, what in the heck is going on here? It was spectacular to see that. Totally hilarious. But to her credit, now she fell asleep, but she woke up early on Sunday morning and found where she fell asleep at and finished the movie on her own and liked it. But that is a really, really funny movie. I think it. Not, I'm not going to call it a, a, a pathway paver for other movies of that type where you mix the, the animation and the live action, but in a way, it, it kind of was. Very entertaining. Uh, Christopher Lloyd, spectacular as um, you know one of the bad guys in the movie. He's really good in pretty much anything he does. If you don't enjoy you know, Christopher Lloyd's work and stuff, I, I don't. that's just baffling to me. Back to the Future, I mean, come on. It's Christopher Lloyd. He's great. And I don't forgotten he was in this movie. And then when he showed up, I was like, oh, yeah, this guy's in it. And the whole time, every scene he was in, it was just like, dang, this guy is good. And I don't think he gets appreciated enough for this. He's spectacular. Absolutely, absolutely love him. Um, it's just fun times with the family. I, I enjoy letting the uh, the kids, just kind of, I guess, my adventures in Step Parrington, the pairing parenting i'll get that word out in a second step parenting um and letting them kind of experience some of the things i experienced at their age um just you know wrenching on the car had the oldest out there being my tool gopher going to get me things putting bolts down where after i take them out you know hold, holding the light for me that sort of thing it's just cool kind of doing some of the same things my dad did with me and getting to pass that down um to a younger generation even though they're not technically my kids it's just, it's, it's cool. It's just, you know, that's one thing you're going to get on the show is you're going to get a little peek into, into my life. Um, I, I like to just put myself out there like that, and, and it's a real-world view. And, and I really would appreciate um, y'all stories of parenting and trials and tribulations and the adventures you go on. Uh, like one of the, the uh, you know, having the talk with the kids or something like that. Like all these things are kind of happening for the different, you know, there's three of them, and it's sort of daunting 
to me because I didn't, there was no ramp up period. I just kind of leapt into a situation. So this has been interesting. So prayers are appreciated, but also feedback in which I want to hear y'all stories. Um, but getting back to sports, I'm going to put this out there for next time. In the comment section, tweet at me, at Seth Stokes, W-R-O-R-D. I don't care what school you're a fan of. All SEC schools are welcome in this conversation, of course. But I want to know, while spring ball, as I stated, isn't exactly the most important thing from a fan standpoint, what about your school and your team are you looking forward to to seeing play out in the spring? What storylines are you paying attention to? Next uh, next time on the show, I'm going to kind of go through and break down school by school some of the big storylines um, that are occurring. And I want to know from a fan standpoint, what is important to you from a storyline standpoint? What are you as, you know, fan XYZ of Team ABC, are you excited about this spring? And who's going to the spring games? What about the spring game attracts you? Let's let's get some some fan involvement, some listener involvement in this. What is it about spring ball that interests you? Well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode. Um, give it a follow on Facebook if you aren't already at Stoking the Fire. Follow me on Twitter at Seth Stokes W O R D. You can listen to the show, like I said, on Spotify. Give it a give it a follow there. Rate it, comment on it. Apple Pod, SoundCloud, the Swain Event app. Big thanks to Pronk Studios for allowing me this time and the space to just kind of ramble about sports and life with all y'all. Also, you can email the show uh, StokingTheFirePod at gmail.com. But that's it for this week. Uh, raise a bottle, raise a glass, whatever you're drinking, enjoy it, and we'll see you next time right here on Stoking the Fire. Oh, 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 oh